Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest fox casting either side of the breach. On tonight's program, we have the conclusion of one room, and we are introduced to a new cast of characters as they make use of the humble facilities in Break Room C in the Guild Enclave. I hope you enjoy our story right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Geppetto Monteverdi's Coffee Machines. At Monteverdi's, we specialise in the finest steam-powered high-pressure coffee makers imported directly from Sicily. This year's models have dramatically improved safety features. Now you can enjoy a piping hot coffee without fear of being horribly scalded by superheated steam. The Guild Enclave, Break Room C, 12.20 p.m. Hoffman's smooth forehead creased as he pulled a tube out of the coffee machine. Dark brown sludge that might have once been coffee dripped lazily from the tube's end. What happened to it? His British accent lent a certain degree of culture and sophistication to the question. Beside him, hands shoved into her pockets, Perdita shrugged. No lo sé. It was fine this morning. I came back from my meeting with Marlowe and found it like this. The calipers of Hoffman's walking harness were clamped onto the sides of the coffee machine, and they held it aloft in front of him so he could use his arms to root around in its insides. It looks like someone was beating on it with a croquet mallet. Perdita's fingers reached back to brush the hilts of the pistols resting on her hips. Could it have come to life and attacked them? Some sort of strange magia? She licked her lips in anticipation. Doubtful. Hoffman pulled the crushed tubing out of the machine, tossed it aside, and pulled a length of new tubing from his belt. Even if it was animated, it wouldn't have been able to do much more than make a particularly hot cup of coffee. Leaning forward, Perdita peered into the machine, her face mere inches from Hoffman's own. Maybe it tried to scold someone to death, she offered. Could have shot hot coffee in their face and melted it right off. There's plenty of coffee on the floor. Hoffman cleared his throat and tried to ignore just how close she was. Yes, well, I suppose that is a possibility. The calipers of his harness turned the machine to the side, bringing its dented front into view and forcing Perdita to take a step back. It seems more probable that a large gentleman decided the coffee was not to his taste and chose to repeatedly kick the machine until it malfunctioned. Perdita's lips pursed. A large hombre. She felt a moment of concern, though it dissipated when she remembered that Santiago was down in Edge Point today and not in the city. That's terrible, she agreed, 
reasonably certain that the broken machine probably wasn't her family's fault. I could try tracking him down if you want. It might still be a doppelganger. I doubt that will be necessary, he said, turning the machine back around. Most likely, one of the guardsmen didn't understand how the machine worked, and decided to take out his aggression upon a helpless machine. Could be Dasher, she offered. Lucius Campinci are always walking around like they own the place, and he's big enough to hammer a dent in the thing. Hoffman's calipers lifted the machine higher as he pulled a screwdriver from his belt to tighten fittings. The good Captain Dashiell has been involved in a very lengthy court-martial hearing since the start of the month. I very much doubt that Lucius' lawyers would let him out of their sight, much less stand by while he damaged guilt property. Perdita barked out a laugh. What happened? Did he lose Lucius' mask or something? He didn't look up from the machine. I'm not fully acquainted with the details, but I believe that it has something to do with an unprecedented abuse of guild resources, unauthorized shift changes, and documented guardsmen being assigned to missions only to disappear shortly afterwards. That sort of thing. Huh. She scratched her nose. So he's taking a fall so that Lucius can wash his hands of whatever bookkeeping mess his elite division created. Hoffman paused to glance her way. That was exactly my conclusion, he replied, a bit of surprise in his voice. Perdita laughed, flashed him a grin, and poked the side of her head with her finger. It's not all guns and bullets up here, you know. The laughter drew a thin smile out of him. My apologies for thinking otherwise. He returned to his work, his arm rising and falling as he tightened one fat screw after the next. Perhaps if the Neverborn used more machines in the course of their terror campaigns, we might have had more opportunities to work together. It really is a shame, she agreed, her smile turning a bit uncomfortable as her eyes wandered over the metal frame that encased his legs. It mostly comes down to... Her voice trailed off as her conversation with Sonia earlier that morning came back to haunt her, forcing her eyes wide with the strength of the revelation. Miss Ortega? Perdita snapped out of her distraction to find Hoffman looking at her in concern. Lo siento, she said, shaking her head. I just lost track of my thoughts for a moment. Her smile was bright and friendly. Hoffman was immediately on guard. It mostly comes down to being busy, she repeated. We should change that, ne? Get to know each other better. She hooked her thumb over her shoulder. Why don't you come down to Latigo this weekend? We can... Hoffman raised his hand. I am flattered with the offer, Miss Ortega, and I have always felt there was a certain amount of chemistry between us, but given our respective ages and mutual employer, I don't believe it would be appropriate for us to... Play some poker with my brothers, she awkwardly finished, her expression screwing up in distaste. Just poker. Nothing else. There was an unsaid but implied ew in her voice. The silence stretched out awkwardly between them. Hoffman spoke first, the faint blush of embarrassment colouring his cheeks. I prefer bridge, to be perfectly frank. It is a much more elegant and engaging game. Perdita tilted her head curiously to one side. Bridge? There's still cards, ne? Is there gambling? There can be, he admitted a bit reluctantly. 
I would be happy to teach you and your brothers the game if you are interested. I don't... She caught herself, paused, and smiled again. Think that would be a problem. We can try both, ne? Hoffman nodded. That should make for an entertaining weekend, then. Great. She went to slap him on the back, but with his steel harness in the way, it ended up just being an awkward sort of pat on the base of his calipers. We'll see you there, amigo. I'm looking forward to it. His smile gradually faded as the awkwardness once more began to stretch out between them. Well, he said, gesturing back to the coffee machine, I should probably... Oh, right. Padita hopped over the half-dried puddle of coffee and headed to the door. Good luck with the machine. Let me know if you find any Neverborn hiding in the tubes. Padita heard Hoffman chuckle as she stepped out into the hallway though she couldn't quite shake the feeling that he had been humouring a joke that she was even now starting to regret. She shook her head, clearing the thought as she started strutting down the hall towards Sonia's office. Someone was going to be very jealous when they found out that Perdita was starting up her own poker game. The Guild Enclave, Breakroom C, 12.40pm Nellie carefully settled into her chair, pulled the notebook from her pocket and the pencil from her ear, and flashed her guest her best smile. Before we begin, let me just say I'm personally quite thrilled to be sitting down to interview you. When I showed up at your office and they told me that you were out on an assignment, I was just consulate, distressed and lugubrious. Across from her, Lady Justice did not return the smile. Can we get on with this? Right, of course. Nellie frantically flipped through her notebook. You're probably very busy, what with running your own department. I know that running the Tatler keeps me busy most days. I'm the editor-in-chief, you know. Cell you mentioned, Justice Deadpan. Nellie's smile faltered for a moment, but then it was back in full force. So, let's talk about these death marshals of yours. You've been in charge of the Special Division for almost a decade, and by all accounts you've done a resplendent job of keeping us all from having our brains eaten by the intractable forces of the Resurrectionists and their legions of walking dead. She looked up over her notepad, clearly expecting some sort of response. I'm sorry. Was there a question in there? There was a moment of silence. Then Nellie glanced down at her notebook and scribbled a few quick notes. All right, moving on. The death marshals came about after Governor General Kitchener's personal staff. Wait, let's go with retinue there. Raise the profile of the deceased. After his personal retinue was brutally murdered and reanimated by a particularly foul and deviant necromancer, it would prove to be the spark that the guild would fan into the roaring flame that is today known as the Death Marshals. Once again, she glanced up at the other woman. Lady Justice sighed and leaned forward, propping up one elbow on the table and using it to support her head. Do I even need to be here? Of course. Nellie scribbled some more words down in her notepad and looked up her smile wide. You're the very spirit of the article, the heart which pumps blood through the entire body of the guild. Without the death marshals and its equanimitous captain, we would have undead reporters writing the articles for our newspapers and necromancers in the morgue. Justice perked up a bit, her eyebrows rising slightly as something crossed her mind. Nellie didn't give her time to dwell upon the thought, however, and the next question completely derailed whatever budding insight she'd stumbled upon. Now, there are plenty of unseemly rumours circulating around about the details of your personal history. 
For instance, Justice lowered her arm and sat up straight. White rumors. Nellie paused. The... the rumors. She flipped over a few pages in her notebook and glanced down at them. About how you might once have been a necromancer before seeing the light and redeeming yourself in the destruction of any undead you could find. Or how you traded your eyes to Jack Dorr for the ability to... Justice slammed her fist against the table, making Nellie jump about a foot into the air. Is that what this article is about? Justice's lips had pressed themselves into a thin, white line. Just thought our readers might be interested in a biography. Nellie tugged at the collar of her shirt and shrunk back into her chair a little bit. We can just skip that part of the article. Leave it in the past. Recovering a bit, she sat up and started quickly scratching notes in the margins of her notebook. Yes, that's a much better angle anyways. Focusing on the woman behind the death marshals, looking forward to the bright days to come. Coming out of an unknown past, the mysterious saviour we need, though not necessarily the one we want. We can add a picture of you staring off into the rising sunset as nobody said anything about a photograph. Justice could feel herself getting tense, as if she'd just stepped into a building filled with the butchered remains of the innocent. There it gave her focus. Here it was a distraction. The banners and flags of the guild snap behind you in the breeze, Nellie continued, ignoring her protest. Very patriotic, very inspiring. Maybe we can have you perched out on one of the gargoyles on top of the courthouse. Well, we can work that out later. Great, okay. She flipped to a new sheet of paper, wrote something across the top, and underlined it with a flourish. Prepared questions are the crutch of a slow mind. We shall cast them aside and race down the street hand in hand toward the future. Justice sighed and made a dismissive gesture with her hand as she pushed her chair back. Nellie froze, worried that another one of her interviewees was going to run away from her. But when Justice just stood up and walked to the recently repaired coffee machine, she exhaled and held breath and continued. Let's start with something easy. Nellie settled back into place, adopting the thoughtful expression that she was certain most journalists wore during important interviews with important people. The city knows you as Lady Justice, but that is only a sobriquet. Who were you before you adopted your current appellation? Someone else. She seated herself and slowly sipped at her coffee. You're not getting a name. Nellie leaned forward and tried to look sincere. But our readers want to know. If your name is tied to something bad, we can use that. The readers love a story of redemption. She tried to sound extra sincere. For the readers. Justice just sipped quietly at her coffee, unmoved by the plea. More mystery. Nellie fell back into her chair with a defeated sigh. Okay, sure. So maybe... She stared up at the ceiling for a moment, her eyes crinkling in thought. Then suddenly she bolted back upright. I've got it. We'll just skate around that issue portray you as selflessly setting aside your name in pursuit of a higher purpose. That, at least, is accurate, Justice added, drawing a relieved look from the reporter. Then let's talk less about you and more about your co-workers. Nellie once again flipped through her notebook. It says here that you work with the judge and the jury. I assume that these people have also set aside their names in the magnanimous pursuit of citywide eudaimonia. Justice paused at the strange word her cup halfway to her lips. They set aside their names as well, she clarified, sidestepping the issue neatly. 
Nelly nodded and made a quick note. That should play well. And you and this judge are in some sort of romantic relationship? Should we be expecting wedding bells? Cup to her lips, Justice all but choked on her coffee. She hunched forward, coughing as she held the shaking cup away from her. What is wrong with you? She choked out. People want to know, Nellie insisted. Eyes wide, her pencil clenched so tight that her fingers were turning white. Are you all right? Justice shook her head as she stood, pounded her chest with a fist and coughed more. Once she could breathe again, she jabbed a finger at Nellie as she stumbled out of the office. This interview is over, she shouted behind her. If you print any of that, I'll toss you in a pine box myself. Nellie waited in silence, staring at the door for a few moments longer. In her experience, they sometimes came back to threaten her again, and it was never good to have your back turned when that happened. When it seemed unlikely that Justice would return, she glanced down at her cluttered notepad. She could see the framework of the story starting to take shape in her mind. The tale of a dedicated and humble woman, working alongside the man she loved, each of them too proud to acknowledge the love between them. It wasn't precisely the story that Marlowe had asked her to tell, but he was only the Governor-General, whereas she was an editor. An editor-in-chief, she reminded herself. Not the worst interview this week, Nellie noted with a pleased smile. The Guild Enclave, Breakroom C, 4.12pm Lucius didn't so much walk down the hallways as glide down them, the nucleus at the centre of a small pack of sycophants and hangers-on. A year ago, he would have thought himself below such petty desires. But since Marlowe's appointment to the position of Governor-General, he had found it increasingly difficult to manipulate the inner workings of the Guild. Now he was little more than a petty politician, a cat who had been declawed and tossed into a bedroom, denied even the pleasure of being able to ruin its owner's furniture in revenge. Lucius was also, he realised, in something of a mood. Sure. A thin, reedy man pushed to Lucius' side, a wide clipboard in his hand. Yes, secretary? His eagerness to serve might have been amusing in the years prior. Now Lucius only found it grating. Please inform Governor Marlowe that I will be taking a brief trip down to Edge Point on the morrow. Important business. Concerning the zoning codes. Very complicated and boring. If he asks for more details, inform him that I will catch him up to speed when I return. Shaw frantically copied Lucius' words down onto his clipboard. Should I book a ticket as well, secretary? Lucius stopped walking and turned to face the man, causing the cloud of sycophants around them to stumble to an unexpected stop. Shaw visibly wilted beneath Lucius' gaze, his shoulders trembling as he mumbled a terrified apology. If I wish for you to handle my travel arrangements, he said, speaking each word clearly and distinctly so as to evoke as much terror as possible, I will tell you. The man whimpered, and with a tap of his cane against the floor, Lucius was in motion again. Terrorizing the pathetic human was beneath him, of course, but it ensured that the man knew his place. That it made Lucius feel like he still had some semblance of power was entirely coincidental. Beckett. 
A masked lawyer appeared at his side. Draft the letter to... He was interrupted by a sudden scream from a nearby break room. Lucius stopped, folded his hands over the head of his cane and waited, his gaze upon the door. The masked lawyer glanced from the room to Lucius to the room to back to Lucius. Should we... Lucius cut him off with a raised hand, and the group fell into silent, nervous waiting. A minute later, a guardsman stumbled out of the break room, holding a severed human head in her arms. The blood from its neck, Lucius noted, wasn't dripping onto the floor despite its jagged wound of a neck, nor was it smearing across her uniform. A few blood droplets hovered along the edge of its ragged neck, like tiny beads of bright candy. The head had been frozen, probably left in the icebox. McMorning. The guardsman looked around, wide-eyed and confused before she finally realized just whom she was looking at. The... the head, she stammered, looking down at it before awkwardly holding it out toward Lucius. Someone put a head in the icebox. Lucius lifted his cane and pointed it at the woman. Sarton, this woman is a resurrectionist. The guardsman's eyes widened in surprise. What? No, I said I just found... Her protest was cut short as a wiry man with a shaved head drew his pistol and in one smooth motion put a bullet between the woman's eyes. She staggered backwards, dropping the severed head on the ground as she collapsed backwards. It bounced once before rolling slowly to a stop at Lucius' feet. Behind his mask, Lucius smiled. It felt good to exercise his authority. He hoped that the dead woman was one of the honest ones. Have that sent to McMorning. Tell him that the employee icebox is not an overflow cooler for his morgue. Lucius gracefully stepped over the head and walked past the court. As I was saying, draft a letter to Winston Finnegan. I will have need of one of his dirigibles in the morning. Price is not an issue, and I will have my own pilot. The masked lawyer was right on Lucius' heels, barely even batting an eye at the murder. The others were stunned, but one by one they skirted past the corpse and the severed head and fell into place behind Lucius' coattails. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for a brand new story on Tales of Malifaux.